0: drink and dance all night. Now let's talk of diapers and pacifiers and our pants and bill and time. Bottle service with BKP. Bottle service with BKP. Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of bottle service. This week, I have a little specialty niche episode for you. It's one that I know I've gotten a lot of women slide into my DMs about and one I am personally very interested in. This week, we are going to talk about V-backs. Now, if you don't know what a VBAC is, it stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. So my C-section girlies, I know this one is going to be particularly interesting to you. But even if you didn't have a C-section initially, if you are someone who is planning on having multiple kids, so multiple births, I think this is going to be very interesting information to have. And I have on an incredible guest this week who is going to help us take out a lot of the fear around this stuff. So, without further ado, let me introduce our guest this week. She is a doula, a childbirth educator, a mom to three boys the creator of the online course, My Essential Birth, and the host of the My Essential Birth podcast, which I was just on, so you guys should definitely listen to it. She is on a mission to help mothers feel empowered and confident during pregnancy, birth, and into motherhood. Stephanie King, welcome to the show. Thank you, what an intro, I love it. Thank you so much, I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> of course, that was a mouthful, that was a yeah. that was a lot. <laughs> so thanks for uh, hanging in there. I'm so excited to have you on the show, thanks. Thanks for coming yeah. In. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit a while ago and you mentioned that you are a VBAC mom, which totally. I was like, oh my God, we have to talk about this. I've been like looking for somebody to talk about this on the podcast because I know, I mean, that was like one of the things for me that was very alarming and scary is the idea that since I had a C-section as my first birth, that I would need to have C-sections moving forward. Is that What, what is that misconception all about? Like, why do a lot of people have to continue to have C-sections? Like I would love to hear a little bit about this um, from you
1: yeah thank you um so the the reason that moms the majority of them continue to have c-sections is because they don't know there's another option and they have a provider that's not giving them another option so that's kind of like top of your list when i talk to women about preparing for for birth in any way whether or not you are a first-time mom you're a c-section mom whatever the case The number one thing that you need to do, and I kind of joke it's a chicken-egg situation here, um, there's two things. The first is to make sure that you have a supportive provider. The second is to have a really great birth education knowledge set behind you. And I joke that it's chicken-egg because if you... If you pick your provider first, which that's the person that's going to be like answering all your questions and um, kind of over how things go for your birth in the way of like once you're there and you're laboring and all that kind of stuff or even options that you have during pregnancy. But you don't know what kind of birth you want because you haven't gotten educated because you don't have the knowledge to know what to ask for, what your options are then you might not be picking the provider that's going to align best with you. Even if they seem really nice and they appear to be listening to you, it, they still not, might not align with your birth preferences. And that's a big deal. Um, particularly when you are talking about VBAC, like this is a message for you, but it's for every mom listening as well. You are looking for somebody who is VBAC supportive, not tolerant, not, we'll give it a try. Uh, somebody who is like, of course, the conversation should be similar to this. You come in and say, I've had a previous cesarean. I'm looking to do a vaginal birth. The response should be something like, yes, of course. That's actually the safest option for you. And we'll, we're definitely willing to um, do everything that we can to make that a, a possibility for you. And then you work on the plan. Aside from having other things that include like high risk situations or, um, you know, other abnormalities or, or tests that come back in such a way that make it so that that's not necessarily the safest thing for you and your baby.
0: Yeah. Um, I know when I was like getting wheeled out of my C-section, like all drugged up, all messed up. My doctor was like, don't worry. You know, if you, if you want a V back, I love giving V back. So like next time, like, nice. don't, don't, don't stress about this. She was like very pro V back, but I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> <wait."> <laughs> like all messed up. Like, wait, why is this even like a decision that needs to be made? Like, I just assumed, you know, everyone would try to do A normal birth but like I I didn't know that it was a decision and now that I think about it I'm like what goes into that decision because I don't know if I want to be back like I don't I'm I'm there's a couple there's a couple of factors that make me um you know worried and I and one of the first big ones is that I've heard that there's a lot of there's risks involved I would love to hear about like some of the risks of doing a V back and i think that that's maybe one of that's also a reason why a lot of people choose to do c sections is because it can be riskier like what what is all that about
1: Okay, so that's kind of the tricky misconception. Um, not that there's not risk involved. Let's be really real about that. Absolutely, there are risks involved. The risks involved include things like um, uterine rupture, right? That's the like major concern. This uterus has been um, opened before surgically, and so they are concerned that that area could rupture with a second baby, contractions, or whatever the case could cause a rupture. Um, there's other risks, including things like the the scar breaking open and blood spilling into the abdominal cavity, right? So like maybe not a full rupture, but like a smaller rupture. Um, let me be really clear, though, that these kinds of risks are very, very low. And there is a risk of uterine rupture, whether or not you have had a previous cesarean, which nobody talks about. That's like not common, you know, we don't, we, that's not common conversation, the misconception that, that I think is really important to understand is you have risks that are associated with VBAC, but there are also very big risks associated with surgery. Um, You mentioned even just having you on my podcast and you were kind of sharing about your birth and, you know, this breech birth situation. And that's why you ended up with with the cesarean birth and the breathing that baby wasn't um, like they needed a little bit of help to breathe postpartum and like spend some time in the NICU or, you know, away from you for a bit to like get breathing and stuff. Um, Those are all risks associated with a baby that doesn't go through a vaginal canal. And now mom is recovering for six weeks from major abdominal surgery. Um, As you know, it's not easy to recover from that right even like trying mm-hmm. to like sit up in bed and nurse your baby and um, worries about infections and, and stitches and all of that kind of stuff so there are risks involved on both sides um, however when you look at those th- the risks for example when we're talking about um, uterine rupture it's like one in a thousand right oh okay. um, th- the risks are low and those risks the percentages don't change much when you're looking at moms who Um, as I had mentioned before, had never had a cesarean birth, um, particularly for a first time birth, like those risks for uterine rupture between a mom that has had a cesarean and a mom that hasn't are very similar. And I mean like one to two percentages of a difference and both of them are very, very low. The benefits that come from having a vaginal birth or attempting a vaginal birth the second time around, um, include risks or benefits for mom and baby. So a baby, kind of like you had mentioned, like if a baby doesn't go through the birth canal, um, something that happens, and it's actually pretty neat, it's called the um, fetal Heimlich maneuver. When a baby goes through the birth canal, it's a very tight space, right? And something that happens is, and it's another reason, I won't get into this here, but like episiotomy should be done like very, very few pregnancies or or births if possible because that tightness that happens as the baby comes through the vagina that helps squeeze it squeezes their rib cage and their lungs and it expels all of that fluid that is in their lungs so that they are able to breathe once they Mm -hmm. are out of that amniotic fluid and born um the contractions, like the time for baby to go through the actual labor, that massaging and that pressure and all of that is preparing their baby, that baby to be able to breathe and function on the other side of things. Um, benefits for mom also have, um, you know, on top of the fact that it's not abdominal surgery, um, on top of the fact that it's extremely empowering and probably like one of the most incredible things I think you can ever do in this life, which is a whole separate conversation. Um, you know, all of the the work that your body is doing and during that time, you know, your hormones, the, the hormones that are happening, um, the preparation of your breast and breast tissue and breast milk, um, the expulsion of the placenta once your baby is born, how your body naturally lets go of these, th- of these things instead of us going in there and removing organs and putting them back in their place and taking baby out and manually removing a placenta. There are things that happen in a natural progression that are just going to make for an easier, more comfortable Um, birth process, but also postpartum as well. Um, Something else to think about, too, is when we are using medications of any kind, and we know this whether or not we're pregnant, those have a direct effect on us, our physical state as well as our mental state. And um, the medications that are used to be able to perform a cesarean birth, and that's whether or not you are conscious or unconscious during that time, can affect your mood and postpartum. And those things are transferred to baby as well, which can also affect them, whether that's breathing or um allergies later on um there's just different effects that those things have and so even in the way of how you feel about your birth afterwards and you had mentioned even having some like post traumatic stress from the experience of birth and the way that it happened for you um that can kind that transfers into your postpartum i experienced the same thing um you were talking about how i i had started actually my very first birth was a cesarean birth and that's what started All of this for me, really, because I, too, had no desire to have a cesarean birth whatsoever. It wasn't even like on the docket for me, right? Because I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's going to be great. I've seen some TV shows and whatever, and I'm pretty sure I can figure this out. And I read some birth books, and it's going to be great. Um, No preparation, no relaxation or labor practice. I took every, um, every class that they gave at the hospital, which was like three of them, They were like an hour long each. It didn't teach me anything about how to work with my body or what was going to be happening or anything like that. It was basically like, these are the procedures that are going to happen at the hospital. And the last 10 minutes, let's have you lay side by side with your partner and breathe, you know. And that was the amount of prep that I had. Well, when I woke up in the middle of the night with like a little bit of a trickle of my water breaking, not knowing what that was, I kept waking up and my stomach was hard. And I'm like, am I like peeing myself right now? You know, I like (laughs) had to go double check this. And it was finally my husband that's like touching my stomach. And he's like, are you sure you're like not having contractions? like, I don't think so. I don't know. Called the doctor in the morning and they're like, okay, yeah, you know, keep track of the contractions, which I really had to like sit down on my couch and like feel like, okay, like about, it was about 10 minutes. I'm like, I think it feels harder. So I was like writing this down, you know? Um, but I lost my mucus plug that morning. The doctor tells me to come in. I buy myself a couple hours cause I'm like, okay, my toenails are not painted and I haven't <laughs> shaved. So <laughs> priorities, right? Let's go take a shower. Um, but once I got in there and they tested that this was amniotic fluid, it was like, all hands on deck you can't leave you've got to stay here i didn't know i had any options at that time uh they started talking to me about pitocin and they said my my nurse came back and said the doctor says you know he needs you on pitocin i said will you ask if if he needs if i need to be on pitocin i'm like we use those words she came back and said he said that you need to be on Pitocin. I'm like, okay, well then I must need this. And sure enough, I you know, Pitocin and many, many hours of labor later, my baby wasn't able to handle the Pitocin. His heart rate was dropping every time they tried to crank it up so that I could have contractions that were actually helping to dilate open a cervix. And so we ended up in, you know, an emergency cesarean, which was caused by medical intervention in my case. Mm -hmm. And I can look back on that and say, well, that didn't go so great. You know, like there were things that I could have done Mm -hmm. um, in the way of my knowledge in the way of the provider that I had and all that stuff. And then same. I, I mean, I didn't ask you what your traumatic things were for your your birth, but things that were that really affected me were I was in, you know, this was not part of my birth plan. I'm wheeled into the emergency room. I have my husband next to me. They give you the epidural. My arms are strapped down. Nobody asked mm-hmm. me if I wanted one free or anything. I'm shaking and I have like a clenched jaw because of the um, anesthesia. Um, and all the, all the while the provider and the anesthesiologist are joking about how they're going to get together for lunch and you know, whatever, and going golfing. And I'm like, gosh, does anybody care? I'm just sitting here like, does anybody care that I'm having my first baby and I'm like scared out of my mind right now, you know? Yeah. Um, all of that affects you. And so I, I will tell you from personal experience, and so of course I was like, you know, my next one's gonna be different, dang it. <laughs> and I got really serious about educating myself, getting my husband involved and all that. I had a medicated VBAC. I had a, a, a VBAC with an epidural for my second baby and I had an unmedicated home birth with my third. Life-changing, Totally yeah. life changing. But the difference, even for my medicated VBAC, that second baby, of being able to walk around and hold my baby the next day, of sitting up, like to nurse my baby that next morning, night and day. And it was extremely healing as well. So I, I think that's a part maybe we don't chat about enough.
0: Yeah, I, I want to talk about that for sure. Um, first of all, I'm like, I want to cry because. <laughs> everything you're saying is like, it's resonating so much. And I'm like, it's heartbreaking. It really is. It really is heartbreaking. And I had a very similar situation, you know, in the OR having like the worst moments of my life. And like Mm -hmm. the doctors and staff are like laughing, chilling, like I had a playlist going, they're like singing along to the music. And I'm terrified having like Literally, I, I call it like the best worst day of my life because like mm. it obviously gave me my son, but it was the worst sure. moments ever I've ever experienced in my life. And I felt like nobody cared and no one was really like checking, you know, no one was really like had my my interest at heart. It was really just like a very cold medical surgery. And I've heard birth You know, I've since heard birth is a beautiful, natural thing. Then like people have these incredible experiences and like there's a a portion of me that feels very robbed um, of that, um, which I'm sure I know you're nodding along. It's like, you know, like it just felt like something was really taken away from me that like I can't get back. And also there's like a level in what you were saying, too, in your experience. And I'm sure maybe you feel this way, too, where. I feel a lot of regret and there was a part of me that like blamed myself a lot after that experience where I'm like, I, I didn't do enough research going into this. Um, I, I leaned really heavy heavily on my medical professionals. I'm like, well, these are doctors. They're, they're going to get me through birth, um, safely and I just need to trust them. And, and go along with whatever they tell, whatever they say and whatever they tell me to do. And I had a lot of guilt afterwards being like, I could have controlled this. Like I could have, I could have done this differently. I could have asked for this. I could have, I could have tried to deliver a breech baby naturally. It like, wasn't even an option presented to me. So all that to say, like, I don't know if anybody else listening to this is feeling the same way too, but I feel like in my next birth, like if I'm going to go through this again, like I want like all the education. I want like all the resources, which is like, I'm so happy that that is what you do. Um, and that like, that was your experience too. And now you provide that for women I think is amazing. Um, now I want to get back to your V back because you're already saying things that I hadn't thought about. Like some of the big things that I'm worried about is I'm like, I feel like this is something that a lot of women will probably feel is the worry of like, well, I already have one messed up area, you know, like I already have the (laughs) scar. Like why, you know, I I almost think that's like one of the benefits of getting another C-section is like, it's like, okay, well I already have the scar. That was the worst part of it. So like, you know, why mess up both areas? Like, is, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like in the recovery, because the recovery sounds like it's, it is a world of difference.
1: It's a huge difference. Um, yes. As, as far to touch on that really quick that, and that was not a personal concern of mine. However, I do kind of joke with women that like, if you, Okay. So here's the thing. Like you had a cesarean birth. I had a cesarean birth. Does it mean that your vagina is unscathed? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) it does not. Like it is still swollen. It is still bleeding. You like, it is still recovering. Um, there is a lot that happens down there, whether or not baby passes through that area even in the way of like people who are worried about like incontinence or like, you know, messing up your bladder, like things like that, those things from growing a baby are still very much the case. Like there's still things that we should be doing in the way of like daily exercise and pelvic floor exercises and things like that, that, that help things um, along as far as your like postpartum body goes. Um, but I do joke with women that I'm like, things do snap back down there. Like I don't look at my area now and think, holy moly, I shouldn't have done that. It's just like it was before. Um, but don't look at it for the first like six weeks, you know, don't grab a mirror and, and be curious, like if you're worried at all. Um, so so just to like touch on that. But as far as, you know, the other thing that comes with like you talked about um, how you felt like robbed of this experience and stuff. And, and how you've heard that birth can be beautiful. Like this is something that I felt compelled and called to, to preach from the rooftops because that was my experience. I felt robbed of that first experience. I felt angry. I felt sad. I felt disconnected to my baby. I mean, for the first month I could not connect to my child. Um, I didn't want him on me right after the birth. I was shaking. Just all the things that you're like, this is not what birth is supposed to be. And my next two births were extremely healing. So on top of the physical things that we talk about and the physical preparation that is absolutely necessary to um, get your body prepared to do this hard work of labor, there is an entire mental aspect that comes along with being a mom um, that is, is, it starts during pregnancy and it continues thir- during birth and that follows you into motherhood and you've experienced some of that yourself. So there's a lot of healing that can happen from preparing for a birth, understanding what your options are, just so that it, when it comes up in the way you don't have to only lean on that medical professional, you can take the information they're giving you and make a decision or even knowing that you have a decision. Like for listeners that are that are here with you today, for every woman out there, you can literally say no to every single thing offered to you by a medical provider even during labor. You can fire your medical provider during your labor. Those are the kind of empowering things that women don't know until they're told. That is like a game changer, right? Um, You don't owe anything to your provider. It doesn't matter if that first provider, like you don't have to rehire them. You can change providers throughout your pregnancy. All of that stuff is going to set you up for the kind of birth that you want. And hopefully one that you look back with, like you can look back and say that was joyful. I loved that. Um. As far as having like the V back the next time, so I, I had taken a birth course with my second one. I had planned it was going to be unmedicated. That, that was my desire. That doesn't have to be every woman's desire. And certainly even within my birth course, I talk all about like epidurals and like the best time to get them and all of that kind of stuff. So it's totally personal preference. It was my desire to have an unmedicated birth. Um, I had some prodromal labor that I wasn't educated about. I had some positioning stuff that I didn't know about. And when I got that second epidural, I thought, holy cow, like I've done it again. This is going to end exactly like the last one. My baby's not going to be able to hang. And that's not what happened. Um, I really did need to relax after several days of prodromal labor. And that is like when you use an epidural as a tool in the right time, exactly what it's meant for. And so I went from it was like a four to a six or a seven. Like I had stretched, you know, within 20 minutes, it was like, "Okay, it's go time. Um, and that baby was born just a few hours later. And I, I had what they called superficial tearing, meaning like we can stitch it up if you want. And since I was already numb, I was like, yes, please, let's do that, <laughs> but otherwise didn't have to. Um, and yeah, like walking around the next day, like holding my baby and nursing, like I think we went out to dinner the next night, which I don't necessarily recommend, but I was like, I am on cloud nine. Like this is so different than my last baby that I was like, let's go, you know, I just want to celebrate. So Uh, yeah, there are some pretty incredible things that you can do like when you're not recovering from six weeks of abdominal surgery.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the (laughs) idea of even like standing the next day, like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) mind blowing. Yeah. Um, I mean, since you had like that first birth, that was like a little, you know, not ideal. Like did that carry, did that fear carry on into your second birth? Like that's something that I think about, like I'm just so scared for that second birth that like, you know, I I just, I'm just so nervous that like, I don't know how to prepare really to like, at least with the C-section, I'm like, I've done it before. So I know what I'm getting sure. into. And there's like total like fear of, of not, of the unknowing of like what a V-back is like, like how, do how do you prepare for that mentally? Yeah. I
1: I think mental preparedness is like super important. Um, One of the ways, though, that we get ourselves like mentally prepared and something that I did personally was to take a good birth course. And the reason that was was because in my head, I'm like, I'm going to do everything on my end this time to ensure that I have a different outcome. And that put me in a better mental space. I'm knowledgeable. I get it. I understand. Then there's the other side of things, like where you actually work on the mental prep, and that's like the processing of the birth. So, for example, you can do like journaling if you haven't done a journaling before, the therapy if you haven't done some talk counseling before, um, prayer. I talk about prayer, and that's like such a huge thing. Um, you can the process of like being pregnant with the next one can be really helpful because you're reconnecting with that baby and envisioning this next birth as a separate activity. So making sure that that vision that you're having from start to finish, um, from like okay when I have that first contraction where am I who's in the room what do I smell what do I see kind of putting yourself there and making that a positive experience all of that can kind of help to negate and kind of work through some of that fear the other thing that I'm really big on is positive affirmations I wasn't given this tool until I was pregnant with my third and getting ready to have a home birth and I was like totally fine up until the last couple of weeks where I'm like oh shoot (laughs) This baby's Mm -hmm. coming out and they're coming out at home. Like I don't have the option of an epidural this time unless I want to truck myself in labor all the way to the hospital and deal with all that. So my my doula at the time, you know, another thing that you can do, this is awesome too, is get a doula. And if you haven't heard of a doula, this is somebody, this is a woman who is trained in the skills of labor. Um, this is something that I do, right, to like come and spend time with you prenatally and during your labor to make, to make sure that your wants, desires, and everything else is taken care of, supported, loved on. Um, and they're also that kind of like third person in the situation that is emotionally removed, but also on your team. They don't work for your provider. They don't work for anyone else. They're on your side. That for me, I could like turn to her anytime and like she wasn't freaking out. She was positive. She was telling me I was doing a good job. Okay, I'm, I'm actually okay. I can like tune back into my body and trust myself and all that. So all that preparation um, is really helpful, but she gave me As I was coming up, I was like 34, 35 weeks. I had a breech baby actually at this point. And so I was trying to turn him and I was getting really scared. I was like, how can I, am I actually going to be able to give birth at home without an epidural? She said, take what you like, leave the rest. She gave me this list of affirmations, things like, I trust my body in pregnancy and birth. My baby will be born at the right time. Um, You know, my body is capable of giving birth at home. Things that just seem kind of like common sense. She's like, start saying them out loud. Start saying them in the mirror and do it every single day. I was just floored a couple weeks in, maybe like a week and a half in, that I had gone from being really scared and um, worried about what was happening to feeling confident and excited and that was just through the work of positive affirmations. And I've seen it time and time again. It's not just me. I'm not, you know, anything special here. Like every mom that does this and does it consistently can have that switch. Even those that are dealing with prenatal depression or mood disorders or whatever, that is a positive thing that you can do right now. And the way that I have moms do it is I actually say, like, grab whatever fears you have. So whatever fear is coming to your mind about birth, you're going to pull that out, write it down, and then you write two positives and the exact, exact opposite of it. And those are your affirmations. And you start saying them every day and you would be amazed at the amount of clearing that that does. Um, But the main thing, right, like once you get there and you get prepped is to have that birth that you freaking love, (laughs) like work for it, aim for it, hit it. Um, And even if it does, even if it does end in a second cesarean for whatever reason, the difference for moms who had a say and were part of that birth experience and birth process all along the way versus it being thrown at them and not understanding that we can ask for things like respectful conversation and a drape to be lowered and my arm to be free and, and those things that go along with a gentle cesarean birth, um, then you can say, okay, that was necessary. And I, and I did have a positive experience because I made sure to prepare all in all of these other ways. So, and I think it makes a huge difference for mom's postpartum.
0: Yeah. Um, one question with those, those positive affirmations, like, are you saying them out loud or are you just like saying them to yourself?
1: Yeah. You're, you're saying, oh, you mean like, am I recorded and you're listening to my voice
0: or no, no, no. Like what no, like, like, in, in practice? Cause I tried yeah. positive affirmations and they didn't really work for me, but I'm wondering if I did them wrong. So like, are you like physically saying them out loud or are you just repeating them to yourself? Like, You do them however you want, but it is it is more powerful if you are saying them out
1: loud several okay. times a day and even in the mirror. Like look at yourself and try to believe that thing that you were saying out loud. Uh, make yourself believe it over and over and over again. Now, of course positive affirmations are a tool. Yes. It works for many, many women. Like if anyone is listening and you've done positive affirmation, like even you, like, no, you didn't do it wrong. Like maybe that was not the thing that was going to like click over for you. You know, like that's why we have so many tools. Like we pull from all of these things and then we trust the process. But um, for me, they were extremely powerful. And so that is a tool that can work for, for other women as well.
0: Yeah. Any other like quick tools you want to hit us with? (laughs) (laughs) So many,
1: um, specific for, for your situation. And I know I talked to, I had a breach as well. Um, even within the birth course, I, I have this like entire thing and I have a podcast episode on it too, but I have this entire thing about like how to flip a breach, right? Like there's, there's some, some tools in the way of, um, understanding that process, but there are things that you can start doing now. So like, I'm really big on these three exercises. It's this like whole free thing that I have on my website. Um, but these, there's three exercises that if you start doing them today can help with position, can help with strength, can help with um, the relaxation and strength in the correct areas in preparation for birth, but also for comfort during pregnancy. Those three things are a forward-leaning inversion every day. Um, And there's directions on how to do that the right way um, on the website. But basically, you want to be on a chair or a couch that's somewhat low to the floor on your knees. And if you need assistance, then make sure that you have that. Put some pillows down low And you're going to tilt yourself forward and do a 45 degree angle. Make sure that your chin is tucked. Um, and you take about three belly breaths in that and that you have a straight back three belly breaths in that um, place and what it does is it releases some ligaments that allow that baby to have proper space and um, give them enough room to move around and get into a good position the other thing that you can do are pelvic tilts so that's you're in like a um, hands and knees position flat back and think of just tilting your pelvis so you don't want to do a cat cow it's not a big extension um, either way but just a, a tilt and you do about 20 to 30 of those a day you can do a morning and night that's recommended or just whenever you're feeling like you need a bit of support or you've got some back pain or around ligament pain you can do those the last is a seated squat so this is not like a we're using weight or body weight and squatting and coming back up like an exercise it's how you would imagine like a toddler playing on the ground right so they are squatted down their back is straight they're um it, it, it's just this really like supposed to be right. Not for us, but for children, it is comfortable position, comfortable seated position. It's it's also how you see like people in other countries that don't have chairs sitting on the ground. Um, and the reason for that and and what I tell you to do, too, is it's not just like a one and done. Like you want to be able to sit down there for a nice long time. I actually encourage you guys to aim for 15 minutes. You're not going to be able to do that all at once. And if you're starting later in pregnancy, you're going to notice like my toes are going numb. My legs hurt. My feet are swollen. So when you feel those things, get up. But if you continue to squat throughout the day and continue to do that week by week, then you can actually get into that position for a nice long time, like 15 minutes at a time, which doesn't seem like, I mean, it seems like a lot if you're not doing it, but it doesn't seem like a lot in the big scheme of things. However, most women give birth in some kind of squatted position, whether that's laying backwards and they've got their legs lifted up or they're literally squatting over something. And so having that strength and stretch in that pelvic area uh, will make for a more comfortable birth and an easier recovery because your legs can definitely get tired (laughs) from all of that during birth.
0: Yeah. Wait. Okay. So is this stuff that you're doing when you're pregnant or before Mm -hmm. you get pregnant? (laughs) You can start it now. Um, but oh, interesting. Yes, yeah.
1: Like as soon as you're pregnant, like get started on these things, you can certainly do them prior. Like I don't, there would be no benefit to the forward leaning inversion before you've got a baby in there, you know, but Yeah. Sure. Okay. pelvic tilts and squats just for like strength. And, and if you know you're going to be getting pregnant, yeah, hundred percent definitely yeah. do these things. Cause
0: that, that. That's where I'm at now is like I'm I'm starting to think about baby number 2 like we have like a plan like we know like the date like we know on the calendar when we want to start trying and mentally I have like some blocks coming up I have some like mm. real fear coming up being like oh my god I don't know if I can do this again um it's it it's scary but you're making me feel better and especially hearing like how healing those that second and third birth were for you. I'm like, Oh, I really, I just want to like embrace that and like think that that it can be true for me too. It can, it can be true for you. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I want you to
0: know that it can. Yeah. I love that. One other question I was going to ask you, cause I know you mentioned with your second one, you took a birth course And I'd love to hear like when you started that and maybe some like resources you can give our audience Um, because that's something I am definitely going to do differently the second time around is I want to be much better equipped. I want to have more knowledge. I definitely want to take a course as well. So uh, let me know like your thoughts around that.
1: Yeah. So funny enough, I took that birth course. My husband and I started it before I was pregnant because we were overseas, and the one lady that taught the birth course that I wanted was moving back overseas. It was like her last class. So we actually got pregnant during that class. So it's kind of a joke. Um, a <laughs> good time to start a birth class. I I am still the like I will always take it in my first trimester because there are. Like for example, with my birth course, right? We talk about nutrition and exercise first thing because the the best thing that you can do is to set yourself up for success by being healthy and low risk. Um, and like you had to mention, like when do I start the exercises? Like all of that should happen now. That's like prep work that can start before you're talking about actual labor birth time. When you're ready to like actually get prepped for the process of labor, second and third trimester is a great time. Just depends on how long the birth course is and all that. Like what I have right now is an eight-week course, although we have a four-week option for women that find us a little bit later. Um, If you have a little bit more time to prep, that is recommended because it's going to cover things like how to work with your birth partner, different positions that you can use during labor, how your birth partner can help you with those positions or do counter pressure or relaxation techniques. Um, Relaxation practice is really huge on like tuning into your body, We say all the time, like, oh, um, you know, relax, just like relax. And like, what does that do to you? It's like instant Hmm. tension. Like, don't, you know, what do you mean relax? Relaxation is a learned process and it's all about muscle memory and there's putting all of your senses into it that allow it to be a very natural process when it comes to birth. If it is prepped right, right? So like relaxation practice is really huge. Um, And then understanding the process of birth, like what is happening inside of my body, what's happening to my baby at different weeks, and how I can actually prepare my body for the process of birth. So there's, it you know, it should take you through all of those things really comfortably um, and really well. And if you're doing that, you know, second half of the second trimester and later, um, then when it's like birth time, it you you'll be really prepped to go so I always tell my moms yeah start it as soon as you can get all that information in. listen to it the first time through and then pop it back in your ear and watch these certain videos when it's like go time and then there's always going to be those things that come up that it's really good to have like a community or Facebook group or something like that like what we have where you can like okay so this wasn't covered in the birth course but I have this very specific situation like what do I do you know And then we can help work those things out. But yeah, I I think that would be my recommendation. Like if you can, if you know to stay healthy and low risk in the beginning, so eat a high protein, well-balanced diet. And I mean like 80 to 100 grams plus of protein a day. um, Well-balanced diet. You're taking your prenatal vitamins. You're drinking enough water. um, And then you get knowledgeable about those things um that can happen the questions that might come up with your provider and and such and i actually have a couple of free downloads i can attach those or hand them to you or whatever questions that you can ask your providers whether that's an ob or a midwife um and then make sure that you can you have time to shop for your providers and all that stuff and then you hit a good birth course second half of that second trimester or later um, in preparation depending on how long it is then you should be really good to go when it's birth time
0: Did you have, and I don't know if your course has this, but like, is there any like particular um, preparation that you can or should do separately for a VBAC? Like, is it any different than preparing for a regular vaginal birth or like, is it the same?
1: Yeah. A a lot of that, as far as like the physical stuff and, and all of that, it's all the same. What you're going to need is you're going to have to work with your brain. You're Mm going to have to put all the positive stuff in there, all the positive VBAC stories, all the information about knowing the risks of things, all the like. Making sure that you're switching around so you get a provider that's really supportive and you can actually see the difference um, that there is different preparation, but it's more of a knowledge-based preparation
0: for the VBAC. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Stephanie, this is so, so helpful. Thank you so much for coming on today. If people want to like learn more from you, get your birth course, by the, by the way, those, um, free re- resources you mentioned, definitely send them to me. I'll put them in show notes okay. for anybody, but, um, where can our audience find more from you?
1: Yes, please come find me. (laughs) Um, Yes, the birth course and the website is it's myessentialbirth.com. If you're looking specific to exactly what is in the birth course and how to get started, it's myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started. We also have a postpartum course that just came out. So when you're feeling like, yes, I need a little bit of help postpartum as well, you can attach that on there. Um, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, all those places at myessentialbirth. And then the podcast is Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy. Um, And that's anywhere
0: you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Guys, I'm going to put that all in show notes for you guys to find easily. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Sarah.